an NFL player inherently is a good player. And so it's what you do with that player that really counts. Welcome to Jaguars Broadcasting Week in Review, presented by TIAA Bank, with Brian Sexton, John Osher, Ashlyn Sullivan, and J.P. Shatton. Jaguars Broadcasting Week in Review, presented by TIAA Bank, starts right now. Hello and welcome to our brand new off-season podcast, one that uh, has had a variation of names through the years. J.P., I think, uh, as we introduce the crowd, J.P. Shadrick, you all know him well. Uh, John Osher, I'd say you know him pretty well. Uh, Ashlyn Sullivan, uh, and me, Big Mouth, Brian. Uh, it's been Jaguars reporters, there's going to be part of uh, Jaguars Week in Review, which has been a labor of love for J.P., um, but here's what it's going to be. It's going to be a conversation about this football team and the direction that they're headed, which is obviously exciting to spend a really long time. So first of all, hi, everybody. How are y'all? Oh, we're Fantastic. great. Fantastic. Just, just great. Good. Good. Well, with that, we'll go right into a segment I call Jaguars this week, which is news, right? Um, I just made that up on the fly. Uh, so what's going on with the Jaguars this week? Nothing. I shouldn't say nothing. Uh, but guys... We thought we might get an announcement of the coaching staff this week, um, and we haven't had that. We've all seen the names that have been out there. Ashlyn, we talked earlier about some of them. You know, Adam Schefter's reported, Ian Rappaport's reported. Um, you know, throw a couple out there for folks. Yeah, the thing I've really been paying attention to has been on the offensive side of the ball, and obviously these are all reports right now. Nothing's confirmed, but the offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel, and the passing game coordinator, quarterback coach, Brian Schottenheimer. The interesting thing, and I think you guys will all agree, is that both of them are coming from previous stops, the same position with the Seahawks as offensive coordinator. And I think they're kind of hired for two different reasons. I think Daryl Bevel is that obvious 15 years of experience in the NFL. He's been with the Vikings, the Seahawks, the Lions. He's been there, done that. And I think when Urban Meyer in his introductory press conference says, I know what I don't know, and I need guys around me that have been here before. I think that's the obvious hire right there. But Brian Schottenheimer, and this is kind of rare that I think the star hire is a passing game coordinator, quarterback coach, but this is a guy who took over in 2018 with the Seahawks, and that was Russell Wilson's best year of his career. This is a guy that has coached up Drew Brees, Mark Sanchez, and with number one overall pick, most likely being Trevor Lawrence, Brian Schottenheimer is going to be in Trevor Lawrence's ear. So, Brian, kind of rare that that seems to me almost the slam dunk higher right now. Well, and JP and John, I mean, if, if, if it is Bevel, if it is Schottenheimer, we're talking about guys who have worked with some of the best quarterbacks. Russell Wilson, uh, Bevel is probably best known for his work with Brett Favre. Uh, Matt Stafford last year. I mean, there, there are a number of guys in this list of guys who are being mentioned that bring a quarterback pedigree to the table. Well, there's a couple of thoughts. And, and uh, JP probably knows uh, what direction I'm going. When we were talking to Bucky Brooks earlier this week, he mentioned that both of these guys, Bevel and Schottenheimer, have extensive experience with young quarterbacks, meaning – Schottenheimer had his hands on Mark Sanchez early in his career when Sanchez had great success with the Jets. Sanchez's career arc was not necessarily what he hoped it would be, but they got to the playoffs early with Sanchez a quarterback and with Schottenheimer there. So there's a young quarterback element to it. And 
there's also a balance. Bevel's known for the running game, and Schottenheimer is known for the passing game. So uh, that's the balance you want, but I thought Schlin said it best. This whole staff, and uh, we'll get to the defense in a minute, when Urban turns to somebody and says, hey, I don't quite get this about the NFL, he's going to have guys who know it. A- any thought that people may have had in the second week of this or the first week that he was hiring an all-college staff, uh, that's not what this is. I'll add to that a little bit here. The, you know, remember when Urban in his press conference said, you know, a lot of people say it's a quarterback league. Well, every league's a quarterback league. It's a quarterback sport from peewee to college to high school to the professional ranks. Well, that that meant to me that these hires, the offensive coordinator and whoever touches the quarterback position are the most important assistant coaches on Urban's staff. So he has to get those guys right and have those guys that he can trust around who we think will be Trevor Lawrence and whoever's backing him up because if Urban's coming in, and they have the number one pick, and it's a quarterback, they cannot mess him up. They have to have the right staff around him. So for me, no offense to the defensive side of the football, uh, these two guys, I think, are the, are the, the linchpins to this coaching staff. Um, I was in Kansas City in high school when Brian Schottenheimer's father, Marty, was turning Kansas City around and had a great appreciation for the years that he spent with the Chiefs. And, and because the Schottenheimer name has been associated with the Jaguars, um, you know, you probably saw the news that Marty has been moved to hospice. He suffered from Alzheimer's for a number of years. Um, just, you know, thoughts and prayers to the Schottenheimer family. Marty used to come down here every year and take part in the Tom Coughlin J Fund Gala and the golf tournament. And there wasn't a finer man slash football coach that would sit and talk anything you wanted to about football. Uh, like he did. And he could tell stories, and he did. And and Brian Schottenheimer has had a great career of his own volition. Marty Schottenheimer is the eighth most wins in NFL history. So, you know, as, we, as we're coming towards the end of his run, um, yeah, prayers for the Schottenheimer family. He was a great mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll add to that if I can, Brian. Go ahead. Please do. I've always thought that Marty Schottenheimer, first of all, Brian Schottenheimer and I go way back. I'm sure he'll remember it well. I once wrote a seven-inch story on Brian Schottenheimer <laughs> when he transferred from Kansas to Florida. So I'm way ahead of y'all in terms of relationship with this guy. But we're both old because, unfortunately, he was 20 at the time and I was about 27. Our ages have gone up significantly since then. But in terms of uh, Marty Schottenheimer, maybe the most underappreciated, unfairly criticized, great coach of all time. Yeah. Never got to the Super Bowl. But if you look at his record, two losing seasons in, in his entire career, he won wherever he went. You know, if Marty Schottenheimer was your coach, you were going to be competitive. You were going to be good. Um, it's, it's amazing to look at his last season. He was 14 and two and wasn't retained the next right, year. Right. You know, <laughs> a, a, the absurdity of that. There was other stuff going on with that. But sure. He would. He was a great coach and should be a Hall of Famer someday. The guys I remember 10 years in Kansas City, Brian, you know this well. I mean, 101, 58 and 1 regular season record, three division titles, seven playoff appearances in 10 years. Well, that's pretty strong. That's you're talking about good. a Chiefs franchise at the time that, that hadn't been to the playoffs since the 70s, and he turned it around. Um, I just 
I watched him play at Blue Valley High in Kansas City. I remember being excited when Brian signed with Kansas because we finally had a quarterback. And then, of course, being disappointed <laughs> when he left. So, of course, he went to Florida. All right. Uh, any thoughts on the defensive? I mean, for those of us who've been around, I mean, just JP and John both know Joe Cullen. Um, that's the name most widely reported. What a terrific human being. I mean, a guy who had some personal adversity in life, had overcome it in spectacular fashion. He's a tremendous guy, and I'm really excited to see some of the young coaches, if the names that we're hearing, the Zach Ors of the world, uh, are coming on board. Chris Ash uh, has been a name that I know you guys have all read as well. Looks like they're putting together a, a really dynamic staff on that side of the ball, too. Well, I'll talk very briefly about Joe because, Brian, you put, I think you were here three years with Joe. I was here two. JP was here one. Um, he's a great technician in terms of pass rush coach. I'm sure he'll have his hands a little bit in Caleb uh, Chase on Josh Allen, these guys, because he won't be able to not. He'll be over there in individual drills coaching a little bit. But beyond all the stuff, I think most people know about the off-field stuff that he's come back from. If not, uh, Google, we won't go into it. But the thing that strikes you about Joe, he's so ready for this opportunity. It's so overdue for him. And what struck me about him, Brian and JP, and you guys can speak to this, his ability to be tough on guys, to tell them things they don't want to hear, but to still have them love him and play for him. Uh, that's not always a thing that all coaches can pull off. He can be tough on guys, but I'll guarantee you no player will look back on a time with Joe Cullen and say, I didn't love playing for that guy. I, I, I think he is an absolute home run hire. For me, the, uh, the next one is Ash, the secondary coach, because who the heck's going to be playing in the secondary next year, right? I mean, C.J. Henderson, John, I think you and I and, and Bucky talked about this the other day. Henderson's the lock. They didn't draft him, though. All these other guys are either a few years in, some veteran players, a lot of guys banged up. We know how many lineups they had in the secondary. So in a passing league, obviously, in a passing conference in the AFC, the back end's pretty important. So whoever is around those guys, I think, has to do a lot of teaching. There's going to be a lot of youth, a lot of new back there. And I think, you know, four of the five positions are up for grabs on opening day. I'm pretty excited about Daniel Thomas. From the moment that he got on the field in Houston until he left at halftime against Pittsburgh, he was an impact player. So... We've got lots to talk about next week when hopefully we do have a coaching staff. Let's transition to a segment that a lot of folks know as big things, but it's a little different. On drive time, Ashlyn hits us with the big things and then we comment on them. For this podcast, all of us came up with a big thing, a big idea, something that's sitting on our mind uh, that we want to share. And so we're going to start with John and work our way through the big thing in commentary. Big thing number one from John Osher. Here we go, John. Let's go, John. Come on, John. (laughs) Well, mine was that defensive tackle is the trickiest and maybe the most important decision in the offseason. And when I say that, obviously quarterback trumps everything else. But I don't think quarterback's going to be tricky. And I'm not sure it's going to be a huge decision. I think they're going to sort of delay it and not tell everybody. But, you know, I think we all have an idea that they might draft a quarterback. So (laughs) defensive tackle, though, is – is tricky for a number of reasons. It's a harder position to fill this year because they won't be taking a number one overall. 
it's not a great year in the draft for it. And they may not, I'm not sure they can fill their defensive tackle problem in, in one off season because of this, you can sign maybe one big time free agent. Leonard Williams is out there, but beyond that is, are there enough guys out there available who can contribute immediately? Rookies are tough at that spot. That's going to be a process trying to figure out what they're going to do there. And if they play a three, four, then you need a different type. So it's a, it's a fascinating area to watch to me, the defensive tackle position, because we all saw the run defense the last couple of years. It's got to get better. Ash, what do you say? I think you got to go get Leonard Williams. This is a guy that's coming off the best year of his career, 11.5 sacks, 59 tackles, only missed two tackles last season. And like John said, this isn't a big draft class for a defensive tackle. I think that's a slam dunk free agency get. And I think that's where you have to spend your money. If, if quarterbacks, number one, defensive tackle is 1.2 of problems that you have to figure out this year. Yeah. And, you know, I, you have the cap room to go get a Leonard Williams. It's going to cost you $20 million. If Christian Barmore is there, the big kid from Alabama that JP can speak a little bit more to, you can go a long way with Devon Hamilton towards shoring it up. But that's a massive contribution towards defensive tackle. It'll be interesting to find out from the head coach and Joe Cullen, if he's the defensive coordinator, exactly what they place the value on. JP, you want to weigh in here? Well, all I know is that they got run all over last year. They didn't have any of those guys. So yeah. you better put some value on it or they're <laughs> going to run all over you again, right? I mean, Derek Henry's licking his chops again. So um, do what you have to do. And to Barmore, I think he came on strong later. Like he wasn't a huge name, you know, a year ago. This was the season where he really broke out in some big moments. And it wasn't their strongest defensive line they've ever had there. They've had some big-time names roll through there over the last five, six years or so. But he has that, that ability to move. It's, I'm, I'm not going to compare him to Darius. That's a different – that was a totally different type of athlete and when he was coming out of college, the way he could move and get upfield at, at that time. Um, then he changed as his career went on. Barmore's a little, you know, bigger than that in the middle but he can still move and I think that would be a fine addition for this football team because you have a young guy who can get upfield get to the quarterback stop the run do the whole deal may not be as elite as that you know Darius level type thing but put him next to a veteran like Williams and roll into Vaughn and get the pass rushers going and let's see if we can get a lead with those guys out there first all right, why don't you hold it, JP, and give us big thing, too. What's on your mind this week? Well, the coaching staff has not been announced as of the taping of this podcast. We've gone <laughs> through a few names. But uh, for me, the coaching staff for Urban Meyer is all about trust. Who can he trust? Who does he know? Who does he know that recommended somebody that is an elite coach? Remember, he also said, Urban said, don't. Don't give me any recommendations unless they're elite at every level uh, of position. So that means he trusts whoever's giving him the recommendation. So I, I think that's what it's about. Because of his newness in the NFL, as John mentioned a minute ago, you need NFL minds around you, I think immediate minds around you. Then you can fill in the rest with guys you've known from the college level that can teach a, a certain technique the right way or, or what, what, whatever it might be, depending on the position. But NFL minds, a mixture of that in college. But all of these guys he has to trust because he's putting his 
reputation, his name, and those guys to touch the players directly. So for me, and I think that's big with Urban, not just in, in the coaching staff. I think that's with around the building, the football team, anybody he crosses path with. It, it takes a little while to earn that trust, but I think once you do, he's on your side for a long time. You know, John, I, I think it's interesting. Um, I saw what JP was talking about, and I, I'm sure everyone did, when he hired Charlie Strong, okay? A guy who he knew, who had had success uh, at Louisville, not quite as much at Texas, but a lot working with Urban during his days in Florida. He trusts him. The other one that made me go trust is when, and it's been reported that he's going to keep George Warhop as the offensive line coach. And the offensive line, as we talked about, has not gotten enough credit and Warhop in particular for the way that they play. When, when I read that, I thought, okay, this is about trust. He trusts the job that Warhop did, right? And I certainly trusted my eyes as to what I saw watching him last year. Um, you know, I mean, he is – Warhop's probably a guy he has not a lot of knowledge of, and Strong's a guy he has plenty of knowledge of. But as JP said, it all centers on what he's seen and what he trusts. Yeah, the Warhop thing is fascinating because – as we've talked about, the, the perception between the Jaguars offensive line and how they actually played last year was huge. They get criticized mm-hmm. all the time. They were so much better than people thought. Um, so I don't think there's going to be a huge transition there. It would stand to reason that Warhop probably does not look at these five guys he's working with and say, I got to get rid of all of them. So um, I think we'll touch on that more as we go forward. One thing on trust that's very uh, telling to me NFL experience all over the place in guys that Urban clearly has had relationships with, even if he hasn't worked with them. But Chris Ash, Strong, there are guys on this staff. I think Urban in the introductory presser said something about he knows what it looks like when it's right. He's bringing in guys who have been with him from the college level who will be able to translate Urban to the positions, meaning – these guys know what Urban wants it to look like. There's plenty of those guys to go with the experience level of the coordinators who haven't been with Urban but know what the NFL is supposed to look like. So that's clearly the formula going on here, Schlimp. Yeah, I agree. And I think trust is, is building before our eyes in this building. I really like when he was having the interview with JP and he said, I want to treat our players great, not good. And, and building that trust within the locker room. I think there's a lot of work with that right now. There's a whole new system coming in. And if you're a, a franchise guy, you don't really know what that looks like. So it's, it's very obvious the emphasis is on the players right now and players first. And that's exactly how it has to be. So you're kind of seeing how trust is going everywhere through the coaching offices to the locker room as well. Shalanda, you're up. I'm up. All right. Well, JP kind of sort of took this oh, one. No. I'm oh, sorry. yes. Oh, yes, JP. It's okay. Great it's minds fine. think alike. For this week, the secondary is basically going to have to start over. And like JP said, the only spot that it's a lock is CJ Henderson, the free agents right now in the secondary, DJ Hayden, Sidney Jones, Josh Jones, Trey Herndon. You, Brian, I know you love Daniel Thomas and you're seeing mm-hmm. the the way that he can definitely make an impact hopefully next season. And maybe he's a starter, but other than that, you basically need a starting corner and a starting safety. I know, I don't know about Trey Herndon. I mean, I think maybe you can make an argument for that, but overall I think you need two spots right now. And that position as a whole needs a complete overhaul. 
I always thought Herndon was better in the nickel than he was outside. I thought his skill set was more suited to that. I really like what I saw from Thomas. I also like JP and John. And I know I mentioned it to both of you. I liked what we saw from Sidney Jones before he went down. I mean, that's a guy who was thought to be a first-round pick before the serious injury, you know, about uh, two, three months before the combine, his senior year at Washington. I'd bring him back. I mean, I, you're going to go get somebody, whether it's free agent or the draft, but I'd, I'd bring Sidney Jones back. I thought he had some ability. Yeah, what you don't know about Sidney, and, and I don't know, but his serious injury a couple years ago was Achilles. Well, that's what kept him out the last six or seven games. That can be a brutally serious injury that you don't come back from. I don't know that that's what's going on, but that would be the concern. Is You certainly saw flashes out of him. What's going on with that has to be something they find out, obviously, before any of that happens. You know, I'm with Schlen, and, you know, I assume because of the draft status that C.J. Henderson's a guy they're going to build the secondary around. But I'm assuming based off seven games that were, frankly, not very consistent. Mm -hmm. um, so, and he's got to stay healthy. And, uh, you know, he has to be a, a significantly better, uh, more consistent NFL player than he was last year. So when I chose mine at the beginning of this, which was defensive tackle, I sort of uh, held my breath a little bit because the reality is as much as they need defensive tackle, secondary is a big, big deal. And they either need to fill out of holes or have a lot of guys perform better than they did last year. One of the two has to happen. I think they're okay at linebacker. Beyond that, the defense, there is a lot of building to do. JP? Yeah, just following up on the Henderson stuff, right? I mean, you're right, John. What, seven games he played? His best game was his first game. Mm -hmm. And Phillip threw him a ball, and he got the interception, and – uh, Philip Rivers, like I know the guy. I don't, I don't know Philip. He's from Alabama. You know, yeah, we're, we're actually the same age, same class in high school. How about that? Uh, oh. We went different paths somehow. I don't know what happened. But um, but after that, it was it was wildly inconsistent. And I'm curious how much of that was above the shoulders with him too. First year in, new environment. Mm -hmm. How was he working through things? Um, we'll see what this offseason does for CJ. We're in mock draft season, and I'm seeing a bunch of people throwing out J.C. Horn, the South Carolina cornerback, and I'm curious what happens if that is the case where they take him 25. Can you trust a, a C.J. Henderson and then a number, another number one, a first-round pick on the other side? I wonder that. Long way to go. As you all know, the draft is about value, and we'll figure out where the value is at 25, whether it's corner or defensive tackle. Hey, my big thing quickly is uh, 268 plus one. You know, the Jaguars – not the Jaguars, the NFL has done an amazing job. Jaguars are part of that at getting to this point. 268 games under their belt, one more, the Super Bowl on Sunday. And if you saw the story this week about the barber in Kansas City, uh, there was a barber that came in. They were going to do uh, 20, 25 haircuts. And uh, the first two or three had gone before Kansas City's uh, you know, medical training team came in and changed the dynamic and moved them out because he tested positive. Uh, the starting center, Daniel Kilgore, um, is not going to practice with the team all week and go to play in Tampa on Saturday uh, in Sunday's game, travel with the team on Saturday. Um, just shows you just how precarious it was. And the NFL went to great lengths. There, a phenomenal story in the Wall Street Journal earlier in the week uh, about 32 microcosms, 32 research labs, and how the NFL was always willing to be nimble and change their protocols and adapt and adjust and 
you know, late in the year, they moved everyone to those intensive protocols and kept everybody at home, you know, the maximum amount of time and the minimum amount of time together. Um, when you look at college football, the NBA, um, hockey, you look at, at almost any other sport that was out there participating, games were canceled, not rescheduled. They had to adapt there to be where they are right now on the cusp of the 269th and final game of the season is uh, downright remarkable. It really is. Yes, it is. I go back to August when we thought, are we even going to play football? And newsflash, they did. Yeah. Alan Sills, the chief medical officer um, the league, you know, he's in charge of the infectious disease group up at Duke. Um, I didn't think they could do it. I, in fact, I said to everybody here, uh, you know, buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. We'll see if they have to have an asterisk at the end of the season. And at this point, they really don't need to. They're going to get them all in. Yeah, it's going to be a weird um, – it's going to be interesting to me to see how this season is remembered. There's a, there's a disconnect to it, I think, because you haven't had fans in the stands. I'm not sure if disconnect is the right word, but it's almost been weird how, like, Kansas City's got a chance to repeat. And Kansas City has a chance to have won 26 out of 28 games – they're starting to get in the conversation of all-time great runs here. You really don't hear it that much. And I don't even know what I'm getting at, but it, it's almost like because there's not fans, because it's such a weird environment, people aren't quite talking about that storyline. I don't know if that's the reason or not. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see how it's remembered because there weren't fans in the stands. All of that, I have no idea what the answer to that is. To Brian's point, it's incredible that they got this in. You still hear some sort of naysayer saying, well, they, they didn't do this or they didn't do that. Whatever they didn't do, they pulled off something that nobody thought they were going to be able to do. JP, every other league would love to have their record. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? I mean, ask the Big Ten what they had, what they happened this year, right? I mean, they <laughs> they, they – put it off, got it back on. They had a champion with six games, right? I mean, that's, you're talking about an asterisk. That's an asterisk, right? And that's a different level and kids sure. and all that. But that's, that's the total difference of what happened in the NFL. They put the plan together the best they could. There were some hiccups early in the season. They fought through them. And now there's one really important game left and it feels like they're going to get through it. And then the trick is what's next after that? What does the off-season program look like? Is that going to be allowed this year? Or, or is it going to be a mixture of what we had last off-season? And we've got plenty of time to discuss that, but let's get through the Super Bowl first. Well, we'll just leave it with this idea that the NFL had an amazing amount of research done, down to genomic testing, where they could see the different variants in the Baltimore Ravens organization in November when they were having trouble getting onto the field. Uh, and they're going to share that with the CDC and the government. So the NFL not only got a season in, but they provided a lot of research for people to battle bugs just like this. All right, let's move into our next segment. Uh, again, a little variation. We always had on Drive Time, Ashman Asks. At one point, it was JP Asks when he was filling in. Uh, this time, we're going to ask a question, and everyone's going to answer. Each person has a question that they brought to the table, and we are going to go through it and um, uh, just for fun. JP, let's start with you. What's your question for the group? Okay, well, we kind of touched on one of these positions a moment ago. But what is the greater priority for the Jaguars in free agency? Left tackle 
or defensive tackle? And I'll, I'll continue the question with a, a little more talking, I guess. Obviously, if you're going to have a quarterback, you want to keep him upright. Ask the Colts mm-hmm. about that. And we've already gone through the issues on the interior of the defensive line. So in free agency, what's the greater priority? I'll go first. I, I think it's defensive tackle. Uh, you know, I, you guys remember, I, I favored Leonard Williams in 2015 instead of uh, Dante Fowler. And neither one of them have lit the world on fire, but both have been really good. Uh, at various times in their career. I, I would say Leonard Williams. I think you could keep Cam Robinson on the franchise tag and you could have some consistency. I also think there are some offensive tackles that'll be there at the bottom of the first round, top of the second. Uh, Leonard Williams is a huge run stuffer. Um, he had a great season rushing the passer. I'll, I'll stay defensive tackle. What do you think, Schlin? I agree with Brian. I think with left tackle and Cam Robinson, I think if you are an above average left tackle, you're going to get the franchise tag or get re-signed, and that's what Cam Robinson is. He's been inconsistent, and I don't think that we're all going to agree that he definitely deserves this big, huge contract, but I'd like to see Cam Robinson maybe with some competition in training camp. Maybe you address the offensive line in the draft, but absolutely the bigger need is defensive tackle and free agency because you have a piece. You have Cam Robinson. Yeah, I'm holding my tongue for now. John, go ahead. Okay, so the question is, in free agency, defensive tackle or offensive tackle? Please pay attention. Uh, left tackle or defensive tackle? What's the bigger exactly. priority in free agency? In free agency. Uh, I was just trying to make sure that it was free agency and not just overall. So, um, And I'll be honest, I was scrambling trying to remember my question. So <laughs> I, I'll, I'm back. I'll give it to you if you can. I got it. Uh, and uh, I'm excited about my question, so I'm a little distracted. But I think in free agency, I agree with you guys. Because of the draft, uh, defensive tackle, I think, I, th- I think has to be. Now, they may have somebody in mind that they think is going to be a find in the draft, but the draft is so uncertain, they've got to get that fixed. So um, unless they see something in some players that we're not seeing, then I think defensive tackle, maybe even two. You might even see a big, big, big-time guy and then a second guy coming in because they need depth. They need stoutness. They need bodies. Uh, so I'd be surprised if defensive tackle isn't isn't the number one signing. One final thought. I was cringing because of the, the Cam Robinson talk here. And I like Cam. Good dude. But did he play at a contract year level this year? If that's what you get out of Cam Robinson and what should be his best season, are you going to pay him $12 million on the franchise tag and get yeah, that again? Yeah, because $12 million is less expensive than the $20 million it would cost you to go get Trent Williams who's the number one name in free agency. But and I think you can then draft. You have, then you have a left tackle you can really rely on for three years. Yeah, well. That's the other argument. Or you can go it's draft a great one. Question. It's a deep tackle draft, too. So go It's draft. a great question. And anyway. it's one I think they should do Talk both. about a lot. The, all of the above. There you go, Ashlyn. Answer D. Shad Khan's checkbook and rules. Treating Shad Khan's checkbook like it's her parents. Uh, yep. Right? Let's hit up Bloomingdale's like and let's Sullivan. do this. Let's All do right. this, boys. Uh, Schlin, give us your question now that we know that you like to spend money. All righty. Is the off- – gosh, right into Cam Robinson's transition. Is the offensive line okay the way it is when you're going to make the investments of a number one overall pick at quarterback? John, what are you thinking? Um, exactly as is, probably not. You know, I think you've got to do something – to get your tackle play better. Juwan Taylor and, 
and Cam Robinson. I'll preface it by saying this. When you trail as much as the Jaguars did, offensive tackle play, had they been pro bowlers, if trailing as much as the Jaguars did, it would have been a miracle because it's a, it's a, it's brutally impossible to play that position. That said, there were key moments where they would both tell you they didn't come through. So I think you've got to figure out a way to get that better. If they believe the scheme they're going to use and Warhop believes experience will help those guys, then fine. Uh, I, I think they probably tweak it, and and that could mean tweaking left tackle. I think the interior's fine. I would bring back Norwell, Lender, Can. Those guys all played well. I don't know if cap-wise they'll do it. But um, I could see that being the, the change you make. The linchpin here to me, how do they feel about Cam Robinson? That's not news, obviously, but how does Warhop really believe in this guy? What is he going to tell Urban about the future of Cam Robinson? That, to me, is a crucial conversation. I think A.J. Can had his best year. As a pro, if you ask the folks who would really know the technical part of that, I think they'd agree with that too. Lender's been banged up throughout his career. That's his only really downfall for me. Like, is he reliable enough to stay out there and continue to keep paying him like that? And you have Shatley around, I guess, right? I mean, he's still here. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, I mean, if, if you really leaves. need somebody to snap, right? Um, and then Andrew Norwell. Uh, we, we could, we've talked about him over and over and over again. And remember also, not that it matters now because it's so far down the line when urban showed up in Columbus at Ohio state, Norwell was going into his junior year. So the last two years of college, Norwell was under Meyer and had two of his best years, uh, before he left Ohio state, but that was under urban a long time ago. So going back to the trust thing, it may not matter now because it's so far down the line, but it doesn't hurt Norwell's cause. I'll say this. They kept Warhop, if, if that's accurate, for a reason, uh, mm-hmm. because they thought the offensive line played well. I, um, I think it's good enough. I mean, look, you can't, you can't fix everything, even with 11 draft picks this year. Uh, but you could go grab, you know, a tackle at, you know, 25, 33, 45, you know, somewhere with their first picks of the second round. There'll be a young tackle that you can groom. And $12 million is a bargain price for a left tackle. Uh, you'll yeah. pay a whole lot more than that. So I would say, yeah, they're fine for this year. Uh, I'd like to see him draft one and start thinking about the future. I agree with that. And I hate to bring up low hanging fruit, but I'm going to use the Cincinnati Bengals as an example of drafting Joe Burrow number one overall and not addressing the offensive line till the sixth round. And I will say the Jaguars offensive line is much better than the Bengals were last season, but that Bengals yeah. offensive line needed work and they still just went ahead and invested in Joe Burrow. And we all saw what happened. So I think at least you got to really think about it. And I think maybe make a few changes to ensure that investment is here to stay. All right, John, you're up. Uh, my question, and I do remember it, was uh, <laughs> how many years the Jaguars from the Super Bowl? And it, it's, uh, you know, I would guess that you're three. You know, and using Jimmy Johnson, Dallas Cowboys, which everybody's uh, using this as, as a comparison, uh, they went 1-15 first year, 9-7 the second year. Um, I'm getting this right. It, and, then we're in the, and then we're in the Super Bowl by his third or fourth year. It can be done that quickly. I think the big advantage this team has with this is – 
I don't want to say the rosters is is deeper than people think, but there are more stars and less key positions to fill than people believe, meaning they don't have to go out and get an elite pass rusher. I think they have it in Josh Allen. DJ Tark and LaVisca Chenault, James Robinson, Jawan Taylor. I think all these guys still have the potential to be really good. Uh, C.J. Henderson is another guy. Has a chance to be a number one corner. He should be a number one corner based on his draft status. Those guys have to be as good as we think they might be. But if they are, there aren't necessarily these huge key positions to have to fill. Maybe left tackle. Maybe an additional receiver. But it, it seems to me like a lot of this is about filling depth to get to the playoffs. I'll say three, and I will use the Mahomes, Kansas City. He wasn't a starter his rookie season. He went to the AFC Championship game his second season, and they went to the Super Bowl, and they won it in his third. If Trevor Lawrence, and I'm just going full, I, I'm, not, I'm not even guessing that they would do anything different. It'll be Trevor Lawrence. So I'm going to refer to him as Trevor Lawrence, their quarterback. Um, until he's not. So if Trevor Lawrence is what we think he is, I say you're three. I'm going to say two. I'm going to add some drama, some spice to the mix. I think if, like John said, there's a lot of franchise guys right now that you can build around. If they are as good as they are, and we are seeing the excitement building around Trevor Lawrence with these players, with the guys that are on the Jaguars right now, I think you're going to get the most out of DJ Chark, out of LaVisca Chanel. They're going to buy into this. And we've seen when this team is juiced up and effort is 100%, this is a really good football team. So I'm going to go with two. Why not? I'm going um, four to five. Ah. Because uh, it's not just the Super Bowl. I mean, when are they going to be ready to beat the Chiefs in the playoffs? When are they going to be ready to beat whatever the Steelers are in four years? They might not look the same. The Ravens. Uh, some of these elite AFC offenses, the Chargers by that point Buffalo. might actually be good, by the way. Buffalo Bills, my goodness, that, that yeah. looks set up to be going for a I while. Am. So you have to be ready to beat those teams in January, or you can forget the Super Bowl. So I think it takes a little bit longer to mesh all of this together, all these new faces and things. And they might get close. They might be in the playoffs. They might make a, a run, and but – uh, it's not that easy to go out there and run against the Kansas City Chiefs in January. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Schlen went two, JP went four, we went three. Four to five. Average. Four to four yeah. and a half. Four and a half. We'll say three year on average, and, and we'll see where it goes. All right, here's my question quickly. Um, can the Jaguars, in a division that has some turmoil, right? We know what's going on in Houston with Deshaun Watson. That's not in good shape. Uh, they also have – they're over the cap, and they don't have a lot of draft capital. Um Matt Stafford in, in Indianapolis would worry me. Now all of a sudden it looks like the Colts are going to have to you know, pull a rabbit out of their hat at quarterback to take advantage of their roster, which we all know is very talented. But I think the division still belongs to the Titans. So the question is, can the Jaguars next year go to second place in the AFC South? Yeah, why not, right? I mean, it, if it's by default, who cares, right? I mean, you're still second place <laughs> in the AFC South. If the other teams stink worse than you do, then okay, well, you're second place. So I think there will be improvement anyway for this team. But, yeah, the, the teams at the top, uh, especially in Tennessee, they've got everything kind of going like they have it going. That'll be hard to top, I think, in the short term. I think long term they can, they can overrun those guys too. But, with gosh, Houston's just – the, the headlines out of there this offseason already 
my goodness, that's a, that's a struggle. And then with the, the quarterback question in Indy, what's going to happen there? They do have other pieces there. That'll be the one for me. Can they overtake the Colts? Because it feels like they're going to bring in another veteran guy maybe mm-hmm. to come fill in because pretty much the rest of that team is ready to roll too. Glenn, what do you say? I'll tell you what. Well, she's got him going 16-0 and 0 next year, so they're going to go 12-4 this not- year, right, Glenn? True, John. I did not say 16 and 0. Stop making rumors up. I'm going to say they're not going to be the last. And that's all that matters because the Houston Texans will be last because, oh my gosh, what is going on there? All right, John, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, I, I don't know that they'll get out of the cellar this year. Um, <laughs> I think they will because of the problems in Houston. And I don't say that as a knock on what's going on, I think the direction is right. Um, it can take a little longer that first year than everybody likes. So I'm going to say that uh, they get out of it. It's rockier this year than people think. I, I generally like what Schlen's thinking. I think the second year of this is going to be when you see the rockets on the jetpack, so to speak, and you see it really take off. Um, the first year of it can be more of a learning curve than it feels like when you're talking excitedly in March. So I'm going to say rockier than people expect third place this year and then winning the division in the second year of this. All I'll right. say Super Bowl like Schlen. I'm not going 16 and 0, but I think that's, I think that's the process. Hedging is the path. This right, is like the old rumor that I'm from West Palm. He just makes absolutely. things up and rides with it. That's everything. Wait, you're not from West Palm? I thought you were from West Palm. He makes everything up. No one listen to what he says. All right, folks. That's uh, that's everyone asks. Uh, We'll see where that line of questioning goes in the future. Uh, We'll transition one final time to a segment uh, that for now we're going to call Did You Hear This? And uh, that harkens to uh, what JP has worked on in this space with uh, some of the best of the broadcasting department over the course of the week. And Schlen, you've got this one from your trip to Mobile last week. Yes, sir. John and I went to Mobile, Alabama to cover the Senior Bowl. It was a glamorous place and a little different because of COVID-19. There wasn't a lot of people there, but one guy that was there was Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer, who has been all over the Urban Meyer hire, tweeting, writing articles, seems very knowledgeable about the situation. And, And one thing that struck out to all of us during Coach Meyer's introductory press conference is he was very passionate when he said, I don't point fingers at players. I look at my coaches. And that's one thing that Albert Breer said has been sticking with Urban Meyer his entire coaching career. For him, I think it's a belief that like an NFL player inherently is a good player. And so it's what you do with that player that really counts. And I think that part of it is so interesting because it's going to be a focus on player development. It's going to be a focus on what the coaches can do. And, and I think, you know, what, one thing you're going to see ultimately, and I, I certainly noticed this at Ohio State, that coaching staff's going to take accountability for it. And they're not going to be pointing the fingers at players. And it's, it's going to be, if you can't develop them, then we're going to find somebody else who can do it. So I think that that is what's really interesting about the, a lot of the research that he did is that there's going to be a focus not only on drafting the right guys, because the Jags obviously have a lot of draft capital, not just signing the right guys, they have a lot of cap space. It's also going to be turning the players who are in their building already into Urban's type of guys. And John, I know you're pretty knowledgeable about this situation as well. And it was interesting to hear what Albert Breer said about this, because I think at times that's kind of lost 
with Coach Meyer and the way that he holds his coaching staff accountable. And maybe that's why this is taking longer than usual is he's really building this coaching staff up to first it's coaches, then it's players. Yeah, and I've heard that too. I've heard different people talk about how long it's taken. You know, it's been about three weeks hiring the coaching staff. It's taken long in the sense that it's not all announced yet, but he's got his coordinators. He's got his staff. I think they're trying to nail down the last couple of things. So I think it's more logistics of how the team is announcing it than anything. But it strikes me just from studying and listening to Urban a little bit, I haven't had a chance to talk to him face-to-face. I don't think any of us have. The whole holding coaches accountable all goes back to the playing fast. He wants players out there not having to think as much as possible, playing as fast as possible. If they make a mistake, don't worry about it. So I think that's where he's coming from in terms of he's going to blame the coaches. You've got to get these guys playing fast, not worrying about mistakes. If they make a mistake, it's on you. It's not the player. That sounds like a very intriguing philosophical approach to me. Will it work in the NFL where things are a little more complex? Uh, that's what's going to remain to be seen. I think that will be a major storyline of this team and this whole concept of Urban Meyer bringing his philosophy to the NFL game. All right, folks, we're wrapping it up on a Friday on that note. Hold on. I must say, by the way, before we go, okay, I was born in Mobile, Alabama. Ah, lived there for five years when I was really young and we moved away. I went back for a number of years for baseball series uh, as an opposing broadcaster. And I've been back numerous times now for the senior bowl. And I drive through there all the time, vacations and all that. This is the first time I've ever heard mobile called glamorous. So mobile. Well, thanks you. Mobile. Thanks you, Ashley. I don't know if you caught my sarcasm, but it's not glamorous. Yeah. For the girl from West Palm mobile. You would know. All right. Folks, get used to it. This is a reg- This is a regular on your podcast uh, uh, routine, hopefully. Uh, JP, John, Ashlyn, thanks so much. It was fun. We'll do it all again next week, and we'll have a Super Bowl, hopefully a coaching staff to talk. Let's Sounds good, guys. So. Appreciate it. Woohoo! Thanks, guys. Good night, everybody, or good day. Depends on when you're listening. <laughs>